0: Welcome to the Perfume Making Podcast with me, Karen Gilbert. And in today's episode, I am talking to Lorraine Dalmeyer from Formula Botanica. We will be talking about everything from formulating and fragrancing natural skincare, sustainability, tech innovations, and how to become an indie beauty entrepreneur. So welcome Lorraine, thank you so much for being here today. I know you're mega mega busy um, with Formula Botanica so thanks for making the time. I know we also have a lot of crossover students so there are going to be a lot of listeners on here who already know who you are um, but there might be some new people who don't. Um, So could you just do a little bit of an intro quickly about you know what you do at Formula Botanica, who you serve, that kind of thing and we'll get into
1: it let's do that well thank you so much for having me i'm thrilled to be on your your brand new podcast I'm, I'm loving being here so i'm lorraine i run formula botanica and we are the world's leading formulation school we're organic and we teach skincare hair care and a little bit of makeup formulation to anyone who wants to learn how to make their own beauty products And a lot of people come to us and they're like, do I need to be a chemist to do this? Do I need to have a science background? No, anyone can do this. And we've had almost 20,000 students go through our award-winning courses in get this, over 190 countries. Which That's, is amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Congratulations. So thank you. So we're reaching all of planet Earth. Basically, we still need some new students in like Antarctica, and North Korea. But think, <laughs> you know, these things can be done, and so we we are the leading place to learn where to formulate. And we've been doing this for gosh, well over a decade now. I have a team of about 45 who also work all around the world. And we absolutely love what we do because we're helping people learn a new skill. And then, if they want to, and most of them do, turn that new skill into a business where they can make and sell their own beauty products to the world, which is wonderful to watch. Fabulous.
0: And um, I will put uh, links of where to find you in the show notes. But Listeners might be. This is the perfume making podcast, after all. And I know that there are going to be some listeners thinking, okay, so why have you got an interview with someone who teaches people how to make skincare products? And I just want to just address that before we go into it, because we have a lot of um, crossover audience, as we were saying before. We've known each other for a while online. Um, And. One of the things that I find that people get confused about or don't realise is actually how close the fragrance industry and the skincare and product formulation industry is. And actually, when you are learning how to make a scent or a perfume, people always think, oh, it's something that I'm going to spray on my skin. But, you know, a lot of your people, Lorraine, do come to me because they struggle with the scent bit, you know, and my people are thinking, okay, well, I want to launch a product, like a body lotion or a skincare product. And I know how to blend the aromas together, but I don't know how to formulate the product itself. And so just for anyone listening, thinking, how does it all fit together? It's such a closely related industry. Um, And so I know that there are lots of people listening here will be skincare formulators, maybe, or, or people wanting to do that. And so the place that I always, always recommend, because I I do have a, a background in that myself, but yeah. you know we can't teach everything, and so I always recommend people go to Formula Botanica because their courses are amazing. Oh, um, so and
1: likewise, we always recommend everyone goes to you to learn how to <laughs> <laughs> So that's I know,
0: <laughs> I know, it's so amazing to find a match like that. Yeah. So Lorraine, could you? Um, so you've told us a bit about you know what what you do at Formula B- Botanica, but could you just share us a little bit about your journey because by trade i suppose by training um you started out as a biologist and environmental scientist didn't you so could you just yes. share a little bit about your journey from from that to um to becoming the ceo of formula botanica and also like do you, how do these fields influence your apo- approach to organic cosmetic science
1: if they do very good question. So yes, I trained as a biologist and then realized that I needed some vocational skills. <laughs> so <laughs> I went back and trained as an environmental management consultant and immediately got snapped up. I mean, this was the early 2000s. Everyone was looking for environmentalists. So I ended up working in the gigantic oil and gas industry wow. and I got sent over to forest Far Eastern Russia, which was a very random place to find myself at the age of 25. Um, but it was a fantastic opportunity because there were so many environmental challenges. And at the time I worked in the world's largest oil and gas project um, as an environmental scientist. And I very naively thought that I would change them from the inside out. I would <laughs> frequently go up to my big senior bosses in, I mean, one of the biggest corporations in the world and be like, I'm chaining myself to the pipeline if you don't turn this around. <laughs> and of course, they took no notice of me. So I quickly became very jaded. Met an Englishman there, moved back to the UK because previously I'd lived in the Netherlands most of my life. And at that point ended up in the renewables industry where I was um, designing commercial scale onshore wind farms, which was great fun. I mean, it brought my sort of environmental background into it uh, where we were looking at all the different environmental constraints. And I did that for quite a long time. But all the time in all of these jobs I had, I kept hitting this glass ceiling. And I'm sure quite a few of the sort of female listeners will recommend recognize this but I kept being told you're too young you're too inexperienced you're too scary you're too intimidating you're too outspoken I love that one I know that one (laughs) had that one a lot and in the end I would just come home every day and be like ah how do I get out of this this is awful and it was actually my partner Richard who said to me I think you just need to work for yourself I think you'd find a lot more joy in that and so I remember this holiday that he and I had together where we just walked around for ages. We were in Japan at the time actually. This was pre-children and I kept going what could I do? And in the end we decided that him sort of dragged it, he dragged it out of me that I really wanted to work with plants because I always loved plants. And we came up with all these ideas for what I could do with plants and in the end skincare was something that really came out. And I started um it wasn't until I was on maternity leave with my uh, eldest son who's now 13 that i was watching the bbc's apprentice and i don't know if you've ever watched it but if you have you'll know that there's all these people who claim to be the best business people in the world and then they bumble around on tv and i remember sat there with my baby going god if these idiots can do it so can i <laughs> so <laughs> at that point i thought i'm going to launch my own iphone app on how to make diy beauty products because i've been tinkering so much in the background already and it took me about a year and a half to get my app in the App Store. This was 2012 when it launched. It was called Beautycraft. It retired a couple of years ago, so it's not available anymore. But it did really well. That and was I'm an early home. so early adopter in the whole app business. Yeah, then. yeah. With baby in tow on maternity yeah. leave. It was insane. I, th- I blamed the sleep deprivation to a certain degree because um, new motherhood sort of hit me over the head a little bit. But then I just thought, I need to do more than this. So I started blogging about ingredients, brought my science background into it really brought that love of plants into it, thought, right, I'm going to start my own skincare line. How do I do that? Um, And I found a tiny online course, which was the sort of precursor of Formula Botanica, really enjoyed it, and ended up buying the whole school because I just saw so much potential in it. And it was really, really small at the time. I was on my second maternity leave by that point with my, my youngest son, and just thought this was going to be a tiny sort of hobby business that I would run for an hour a day because <laughs> that's what it was in the yeah. early days. It was just a one-woman show, not even a full-time job, not even really a part-time job. It was so small. And then just threw myself into it, and here we now are 10 years later. Grew a beast. <laughs> a beast created a monster. <laughs> I know, I know. It is a bit of a monster. It's also my other baby.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like a a, a teenager. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, a, a difficult teenager.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, that's that's brilliant. That's, that's such an amazing journey. And um as we were you know, we were we were talking about before, like it's 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 been really interesting to see the business grow and develop and in into what it is. So um so you've got loads and loads of students. So um one of the questions um that I know that my natural perfumery students struggle with. So I teach kind of, I started out teaching natural perfumery because that's where my love is. But my my background was sort of in the commercial fragrance industry as well as the natural organic. So I kind of teach both because that's what my people ask for. But the, a lot, a lot of my people really um, want to just create natural fragrances. And one of the things that they struggle with, um, inter- they with the natural, like keeping it natural versus the expected performance of a product. So in perfume, that is to do with long-lastingness, um, you, know, silage, you know, silage, that that kind of thing. Um, for, but from an organic skincare perspective, um, what would you say are the most important considerations um, when formulating and how do you balance that efficacy with the naturalness of the ingredients? Oh, and is gosh, that something that your question. your students come up against?
1: Yes. First of all, I just want to say fragrance of a good skincare product is so important and it is so overlooked by some brands. I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where you just open up a jar and you go, oh my God, and you sort of recoil in horror. Oh, totally. Because people choose, they often choose, um, I'm talking about formulators, not perfumers for here, but they often choose fragrances based on the potential chemical compounds in those fragrances that and what they can do on the skin in terms of the efficacy yeah. rather than the overall sensorial experience. <laughs> so I think from an organic skincare perspective, the most important considerations are safety and stability ultimately you want your product to be safe on the skin. You don't want it to be contaminated. You don't want it to split. You don't want it to change color. You don't want the scent to shift. You don't want it to suddenly start growing mold or fungus or whatever. So I think those are the two main, Um, places where we start with our students and uh, also dermal limits is an incredibly important component which I'm sure comes into perfumery as well I don't actually know much perfumery
0: yeah so yeah so it's really interesting so a lot of your students I would say are used to using essential oils and they do ask about dermal limits a lot in terms of aromatherapy but it's really interesting actually because that isn't something that really gets taken into consideration in perfumery even Mm. fragrance for skincare products I mean it does but it's it's actually approached in a slightly different way so we yes. have EU regulations we have IFRA so we have mm. IFRA compliance and so mm. I think in a lot of ways those IFRA um, compliance levels for certain product types will actually mm. automatically take those dermal limits in, into consideration but I think it people will. do get a little bit confused between yeah. the two
1: I think it's just two different ways of expressing a similar thing it is also, I mean, they're two different products as well. Because yeah. imagine you have a skin cream, that's going to be in contact with your skin for quite a long time. If you're making a perfume and you're spritzing it on, I mean, obviously there are different types of perfumes mm. where you can have solid and roll on as well. But if you're just spraying on a perfume, then it's not going to, the dose isn't going to be so high. I don't suppose it's in contact with the skin in the same way. So I think there's absolutely different considerations. Yeah,
0: there's lots of, I mean, they're different um uh, categories safety uh, if for safety categories for sure and one going back to what you said about the um, issue with people creating fragrances for their skincare products and not taking into consideration the aesthetics that's something that I really drum into my people because it does and this is one thing that I I, so I came from the uh, the fragrance industry working as an evaluator for IFF, International Flavours mm. and Fragrances. And then I went straight into working for Neil's Yard in product development. So I, I was doing fragrance formulation in the lab, but with naturals. And that was one of the really interesting things, because a lot of the formulation that was done and people they were teaching in their aromatherapy course, the aromatherapists don't tend to get taught about aesthetics they really focus on the chemical components and and that kind of thing and what most people don't realize is if you're formulating even if it's 100% natural even if it's therapeutic you have to actually use maybe some bridging materials you have to actually make sure that it fits with the base and it's not You know, it doesn't sink or it doesn't overpower and also the end user, you know, any skincare product, you've got to think about the end user
1: and the scent comes into it as much as the product formulation. For sure, Absolutely. It's the first thing you notice after the branding and the packaging, because I mean, all of us are guilty of this, right? You open something up in the shop and think, does that smell nice or not? And if it doesn't, you instantly sort of go, oh, no, I'm not buying that. And you put it back. But learning how to blend fragrances is, well, as you know, an entirely other skill aside from learning how to formulate. And we teach our students the basics of aroma blending so that they they understand things like yeah. top, middle, base notes. They understand the different fragrance families. But we're not going to dedicate a whole course to that because they're already immersed learning how to Absolutely. make cleansers, it's- toners, butters, oils, all of it, lotions. And so that is something that they have to then spend more time with. And I suppose once you've put all that time into learning how to formulate and you get really excited by those ingredients, I often use wild carrot seeds, essential oils as an example. Because from a sort of therapeutic perspective, in terms of its skin benefits, it's amazing. But oh, my God, does it stink? (laughs) To me, it does. (laughs) Well, it's like
0: Tamanu oil. I love Tamanu oil it's like you know if you've ever used it on like an eczema or a spot you know you can use it I use it for absolutely everything and I don't mind the smell of it but for those of you don't know it's like really thick it's green it's earthy it smells like you've just rolled in the forest floor (laughs) Um, but yeah so things like that can be really challenging in skincare products to like you know to mask Um, but yeah so moving on from that then you know I think one of the the other things that I I think I know I address with my students and I I know that you address with your students is consumer education as well. Because sometimes when you are creating an organic product, a natural product, you really have a little bit of a job to educate the consumer on that and manage their expectations. So what misconceptions do you often come up against with natural skincare and how do you address these with your students and their potential customers?
1: It's that's a great question. And I think you hit the nail on the head, actually, because we don't get this misconception very often because our students who come to us and enroll, they're already convinced about yeah. the benefits of naturals, but their customers will exactly. constantly say this to them. And I, I had this the other day. Um, I was sat with someone and I she said, what do you do? And I explained and she said, oh, I don't use natural skincare. I only use chemical skincare. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, how do I even unpick this one? And I chose not to in the end because it was just not the time or place. But our students come up against this all the time when they launch that people have this misconception that naturals can't be effic- efficacious. And that really does come down to actually talking to people. And it also means rejecting the pseudoscience that's out there because the natural community has very much embraced quite a bit of pseudoscience over the years. Obviously, they really started the, the, the free from movement that vilified a lot of chemicals that are actually perfectly fine and safe to use. So there is an element of needing to just be balanced and putting out correct information. But I understand that doesn't always tie together well with marketing messages. That is what I,
0: do you know what? That's one of the things I love about formula, formula botanica, because even though you are really focused on the organic skincare formulation side of things, it's really balanced. And I have found over the years and it changes and morphs, doesn't it? It's like, yes. you know, you have oh, you know, naturals are, you know, amazing and they're the only, th- like chemicals are bad and like people don't understand that everything's a chemical and then people say, oh, well, naturals are all good and chemicals are all bad and that's not necessarily the case. But then a lot of the time naturals can be, you know, people are recommending usages mm-hmm. of essential oils, for example, or natural ingredients that are way over what they should be yeah. and they they
1: tend to cause more harm than yeah. non-naturals yeah. and I love your balance in that. Thank you. Yeah, we've never vilified the mainstream industry apart from plastics. Like, I really wish the mainstream <laughs> beauty industry would not put bloody plastic in their cosmetics. I don't see the point... And just even... Yeah, anyway, that's a whole... And, and yeah, and so we'll talk
0: about... Yeah, let's... Well, actually, that is uh, a really nice segue, actually, well, into I my next to, question.
1: Um, if sustainability. If I one, yeah, go for it. Can I just add one final thing? Yeah, yeah. I just, for sure. We... Because we've never vilified the mainstream industry, we've always just really focused on the benefits of organics. And that's the thing I love is I, I want to put us out there in the world to say really positive things about this plant can have this effect. This plant is great for the skin because X, Y and Z. And I think ultimately you position yourself far more as a thought leader when you focus on the benefits rather than the negatives.
0: Absolutely. That's really, really well said. And that is, um, that's something that I really try and get across to my students as well. We, I mean, I have both. I, I mean, I don't know what my percentage is really, but I think a huge chunk of, of my students do want to focus on naturals. And I really do try to, to get that across to them that, you know, you need to have a balanced view. And also the education of their customers is so important because that's the only way we're ever going to change anything. Exactly. Um, So talking about plastics and and bugbears around that. So sustainability obviously is a key concern in both perfumery and in skincare. And it's almost, and I think actually we had um, a sort of an era where everyone was going, everything had to be natural, everything had to be organic. And I think for a while now, the conversation has been shifting slightly uh, towards more about sustainability yes. rather than oh just because it's natural because some naturals are not necessarily sustainable so could you talk a little bit about um the role of sustainability in skincare formulation especially you know with sourcing ingredients and packaging
1: yeah it's a huge topic and you're right the industry started talking about it during covid which is pretty shocking i mean i qualified as an environmental scientist god 20 20 plus years ago can't even count at the moment and In that time, I've not seen the beauty industry really address the elephant in the room. And it's been fascinating watching them shift. But what they've been doing is just latching onto a few tiny little things, like we're going to make our plastic packaging recyclable. And you're sat there going, what? How how have you been going for all these decades without it being recyclable? How is that even a thing in 2023? And they're so far behind that we have a really long way to go to catch up. Um, So, yeah, I I actually host the Green Beauty Conversations podcast, which I know you've been on in the past as well. I have. I have a long, long time ago. I'll put a link to that in the um, the show
0: notes as well, because I think that's really important for everyone um, who's interested in
1: naturals and organic for sure. Well, so I address the sustainability question and that most of the time. And I have a lot of people come on and we talk about consumption of beauty products and how we can make longer lasting beauty products. We talk about circularity and refilling. We talk about the sustainability of ingredients and resource use and things like that. And then also the beauty of making your own products yourself and actually walking away from what the mainstream industry is trying to sell you together with their obviously highly toxic marketing messaging to (laughs) tell us that we're not young enough and not smooth enough and not beautiful enough and not white enough and not straight haired enough and all of those things. So it's a huge topic and I'm just not watching people really unpick it properly. And even consumers don't get it. They just don't get it at all. And when they're asked, and I see this in poll after poll, when they're asked, what does sustainability mean in skincare for you? They all go natural. And I'm like, well, that's great for us and it's great for our students, but that's not what sustainable means. Yeah. Sustainable is a much bigger topic. And I I just don't see that conversation shifting in the right direction at the moment, mainly because, of course, it is led by the beauty industry and for them to address the elephant in the room, which is the fact that they're producing billions of units of cosmetics to try and try to sell them by telling us that we're not good enough as human beings. That isn't a long term strategy for success in my book.
0: Yeah, so that's a really tricky one to navigate as well, because you highlighted the fact that there are hundreds, if not thousands, you know, however many products launched every year. And so obviously, you, you know, you've got students who want to launch new brands. And so is there any advice that you would give people who think, oh, you know, the, the market's saturated, I can't, I can't do this because I'm competing with the big brands?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one, because I think people look at the industry as it is and think, God, is there really space for another beauty brand? And a couple of years ago, there were all these articles going, do we need any more celebrity brands? Do we need any more beauty brands? And I think we need to move away from that question and flip it on its head and go, do we need the brands we currently have? (laughs) Or could we actually get some other ones in there who can maybe do a significantly better job and stop telling us that? Again, we're inadequate as humans, so I think there is absolutely scope out there. And I see some of our students just rise up and smash through the industry overnight. I was talking to a student um, a couple of days ago, actually, because I'm doing a podcast with an interview with her tomorrow. And you know, she launched in COVID. She's now her brand is stocked in 300 stores across North America in under three years. And you go, wow, there obviously really was a niche for you there. I talked to another brand, um, one of our graduates started again in COVID. You know, she's doing $4 million in revenue a year now within three years. And you realise as long as you have the right messaging and as long as you can position yourself as different, you can absolutely fly.
0: That's amazing. And actually, that's a great point. You know, do we want the brands that we've got? Because a lot of the, the brands and this is in the fragrance industry, it's in the skincare industry. Ultimately, a lot of those brands that we see on the shelves are owned by a very, very small number of humongatron, if that's even (laughs) a word, like organizations, right? So it might feel like, and this is something that I say to my students as well, it might feel like there's like not a way for you to break through. But yeah. there are so many people who don't want to buy from those brands, who want something that is founder led, that is maybe more indie, maybe smaller. They they actually can get to know the person who's created the product. Yeah. It's it's just a huge opportunity and a huge niche. And that's amazing to see with your students. So I mean, I'm talking to a few of mine um on the podcast as well um, in the upcoming months. And, you know, I've seen people start from nothing. Um, with no experience whatsoever and launch their fragrance brand. And that opens up so many opportunities. They're on other people's podcasts, they're doing talks, they're becoming an expert speaker in their own right because of that.
1: And I also think that the entrepreneurs of today are the ones who are going to change the industry completely for tomorrow. And like the eco beauty entrepreneurs, yeah. as you will, you know, there's. I have a friend in the beauty industry in the UK, um, Joe Chidley, who runs Beauty Kitchen and Re. And she has she and her husband have come up with this incredible circular beauty concept, where they take packaging back from brands, and they've developed some kind of proprietary technique for cleaning it. Highly entrepreneurial, and then the packaging goes back to the brand, and they're rolling this out. With major retailers across the UK, like those major retailers didn't come up with that idea themselves. Someone entrepreneurial came up with it and sold it into those retailers. And that's how we changed the industry. We can't wait for the fossils to, <laughs> that are sat there to come and change things for us because they won't. They've been there for over 100 years for a yeah. reason. So we need to bring the eco up into the um the skincare and perfume worlds and they will change things and so folks if you're listening to this and thinking should i do
0: this we change it we change it from the inside
1: Exactly. Let's that's the way it's of the done. Fossils. If you have a good idea, you're far more likely to implement that as an entrepreneur than you are in a big corporation where things have to go through endless meetings and sign offs. And, and even then it doesn't get implemented the way you want it. But if you can do it yourself, you can absolutely change the world. And that is so empowering. And that's something that is so
0: much easier to do as a very small, like a small indie. We, you know, we can pivot, yeah we can you know we actually i think react to trends consumer demand ideas We can act on those far more quickly than a huge company that has got you know a million different levels of like sign off or you know uh, is in you know 300 big you know big stores it's so much easier to to be adaptable when you're a a smaller entrepreneur and
1: you can talk to your customers if you work for a giant company like Unilever's R&D team aren't out on the street talking to their customers are they if you send in your feedback in an email go I didn't like the fragrance of that it will literally never reach them
0: absolutely (laughs) absolutely no that's that's brilliant advice so um So um, talking about uh, sustainability and and ingredients and and sourcing and that kind of thing, Um, so for those people out there interested in um, creating a small skincare production or DIY, that kind of thing, what advice would you offer regarding the sourcing and selection of of, uh, high quality sustainable ingredients?
1: I think this is where you have to use your skills as an entrepreneur to hustle a little bit and really get to know suppliers. And in the beginning, of course, the issue with minimum order quantities always comes back. But this is where going to the trade shows, finding the little innovative suppliers at these big trade shows like eCosmetics. Cosmetics. I don't know if you've ever been. You ever um, years and years ago, not recently. It's amazing. You go in there, it's like aircraft hangers full of yeah. the ingredient suppliers. And of course, you've got the giants at the front who aren't remotely interested in the indie brands and they literally sort of shoo you off the stand with a broomstick. But then you've got all the ones at the back who are very happy to work with smaller brands and they have some fascinating ingredients. And I think that's what you need to be doing as an entrepreneur when you're starting a brand, be that skincare or perfume getting to know your suppliers, building up long-term relationships with them. And I did, um, I've done a couple of interviews on my podcast with uh, like May Lindstrom and Sarah Brown from Pi Skincare, really successful beauty entrepreneurs who have beautiful brands. And they're, they're very fiercely protective of the ingredients that they use. And they're fiercely protective of the relationships that they have with those suppliers, which they've spent years building up. And I love that because for them, it was all about the quality of the ingredients and finding the very best and then clicking onto that supplier for dear life, basically. So I think it requires it requires networking and people skills and going out there and hustling a little bit and then finding the right ones for you.
0: Yeah, that's that's interesting because obviously in the fragrance industry, I mean, I suppose it's the same when people start out in uh, skincare formulating as well. You go online and you yep. buy ingredients from, you know, the 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 companies that sell to kind yep. of hobbyists and you start there. And then people kind of sometimes get stuck there as well and think that they can't they go forward. And I know this is this is like hugely problematic in the in the fragrance industry, because really the bigger um suppliers are your you know your yourshivadans and your Ferminishes and your Robertes and they are not going to be entered you know you can't buy direct from them in in no. the majority of cases. however, yeah. so you get have to meet distributors, that kind of thing and it's exactly yeah. that it's you know they might say oh well, the minimum order quantity for this is like ten kilos, but then the more you get to know them, and they know that you're serious you build a relationship and exceptions can be made in some cases they can and i've even i know you know indie perfumers um who are friends of mine who actually do buy from some of the big companies even though they're they're relatively small by comparison but purely on on what you've just said networking Mm. hustling a little bit you know building those relationships and and sticking with those companies because if they know that you're serious you know who knows where you might go the volumes are going to grow the bigger you grow as a company Absolutely,
1: and they want to invest in you i had a chat with uh, one of the big ingredient suppliers a few years ago um croda and i was talking to them about indie brands and they said look we do do um sample sizes and the sample size can actually last an indie brand for a really long time And at the time, I don't know if this is still their ethos, but I think it is. You know, they wanted to invest in indie brands by helping them get access to some of these amazing ingredients because they could see that they were the giants of the future. So it's also, yeah, you have to find the sort of more forward thinking ingredient suppliers who think that way. Yeah. But yeah, you can find them out there, absolutely. Yeah,
0: I think with I think I ordered something as a sample from Kroda. It was I can't even I think it was a a, a solubilizer that I was looking at for water-based okay. fragrances. And I got a sample and it was like, I think it was like a kilo or 500 mil. I was like, okay. Yeah. Happy days. <laughs> Thanks very much. Um, but yeah, it's you know, it and, and that enables you to do your testing, to do your first launch even. Yeah. And then and then see where it see where it takes it. And yep. so, um, yeah, amazing. So um, what are, you, are any trends that you are specifically seeing in the organic skincare industry um, coming up? And, and if so, how do you see them evolving? Like, are there any innovative ingredients or techniques that you're really excited about right now?
1: Oh, it's interesting. So we have a a membership platform for formulators called The Lab at Formula Botanica, where we cover trends in little monthly mini courses. Mm -hmm. And so we're always looking at what the upcoming trends are. And it's fascinating, you know, because people go, oh my God, Rosemary, it's trending. And I'm sat there going, yeah, it's been trending for about 5,000 years. (laughs) (laughs) So the industry does sort of Just lurch from one thing to the next. And in reality, some of these ingredients have been around forever. But then you see certain things catch on, like scalp care at the moment is a massive thing. And I'm only seeing that growing because, of course, the beauty industry has recognized that there's a whole part of our body that we've been ignoring for these years that they could sell us more products for. But I think in reality, where people still are is very much along the the lines of those high-performance ingredients. I mean, people are still talking about retinol alternatives, hyaluronic acid, yeah. vitamin C. And whilst they may feel like they're trending, those are actually the classics that have been around for a long time that the industry just keeps trying to invent more ingredients to slot into that category for. It's
0: so funny talking about hyaluronic acid, because um, I, when I first started out in this industry, like I think I'd... I just I left school before I went back to London College of Fashion to do my cosmetic science thing. I was working for um, Shiseido Skincare and I worked on, worked on the promotion team on their launch in Harrods and Harvey Nichols. And one of their key selling points for their entire skincare range at that time was something called biohyaluronic acid. And it was there was a toner that you used that was so different to Clinique's toner because Clinique's yeah. was really stripping of the skin. And th- theirs was called, I think they called it softening lotion and it had hyaluronic acid in it and then yeah. their bioperformance cream. And so at the time, this was like 1990, I, we were talking about the amazingness of hyaluronic acid. And then I think I saw, like was it five years ago, hyaluronic acid, it's like this amazing thing. And I'm like, hang on a minute, that's like, we were selling that in the 90s. That's n- like nothing new.
1: I think trends just come and go. It's like when people go, Oh my god, pumpkin seed oil's trending. And I'm going, Is it? Why? Yeah. It's a lovely oil, but why that one specifically? I honestly think there's just a marketing department around there or a PR department just throwing ideas out and then everyone runs with it. So but what? I, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to I was going to say, I think an, another trend that I am seeing though, which I think will grow, is biotechnology. I would which, that's exactly what I was gonna ask you. Uh, How do you see
0: so you know we can't you know do this podcast without talking about things like white biotech green biotech i mean i only have a very surface level knowledge of them because the the white biotech specifically is creeping into the fragrance industry with Mm -hmm. the formulation of and i would love to know what you think about these types of ingredients in naturals because we're seeing white biotech materials created out of fermentation by the big fragrance houses, so instead of buying a synthetically produced, I don't know ambroxan for example, you can actually find one that's being created through white biotech. So, in your eyes, would that be natural? Would it not? What What are your views on the the biotech kind of yeah. it's situation? An interesting in natu- one, I mean,
1: whether it's natural or or not. I think is up to, is sort of in the eye of the beholder. I take a rather broad spectrum view of what natural means. So I am I would probably say, I think we can accept that one as natural, but some people would absolutely say they wouldn't. What I think of them is I think there's great potential there for the sort of industrial beauty players, the really giant ones who must be using billions of tons of ingredients all the time. And planet Earth probably can't sustain that. I mean, you will know from many essential oils, they're still harvested unsustainably. It's it's decimating these plant populations. So I think for the big players, I think it's brilliant. Get them onto biotech, get them creating all sorts of fascinating plant ingredients. And in fact, I interviewed someone on the podcast the other day um, who runs a biotech company in San Diego called Biotech. Bio? Oh, I forgot what they're called. Bio... I think it might be biotech. I've forgotten. But anyway, he was saying that they analyze, I think, thousands of antioxidants to find the most potent ones, and then they develop those as ingredients. And they're working with some of the big players to um, to completely change all of their ingredients so they will no longer be using natural resources. And I think actually that's probably not a bad thing. For the indie players, I can see that a lot of those people get real joy out of working with plants, the butters, the oils, the waxes, the hydrosols, the essential oils. And I think there's a real split to be made here potentially where some of the smaller players may well still be able to work with those beautiful plant ingredients without putting that ecological pressure on populations. So I can see an argument for both sides, to be honest.
0: Yeah, interesting. So any other tech?
1: Has AI crept into skincare formulation? Um, Well, I got chat gpt to formulate for me um i recorded a podcast episode on this actually the other day because it was just very bloody minded and it wouldn't formulate properly and it kept going (laughs) particularly on the essential oils you'll find this fascinating actually because i kept going right is this essential oil blend um safe for use on the skin and it would go oh i don't know about that you need to hire a chemist and then i'd go tell me the exact breakdown of the essential oil blend that you've made and it would give me something very tentatively, and then go, but you do need to consult a chemist. And in the end, I sort of went, right. Why do I need to consult a chemist? You're the expert, tell me. And so I then ended up in this massive spiral of argument with ChatGPT going, <laughs> I don't need to hire a chemist because anyone can formulate, because of course that's very much our motto <sighs> at Formula <laughs> Botanica. And in the end, ChatGPT sort of backed down and went, okay, you're right. And then the next week I tried it again and it still went, you need to hire a chemist. <laughs> so you could you use a prompt saying acting as
0: a, f- um, a chemist and skincare formulator Maybe. we're using 3.5 or four four yeah so it should have been able to kind of
1: rust I think something. four just gives you more tokens rather than it having a hell of a lot more knowledge. oh really
0: I've literally just delved into four I haven't tried I only started using
1: four this week just to, to test it yeah but no um, it's it's a great tool and we're certainly starting to use it for content creation um, I just upload my podcast show notes and it spits out, I, I upload the transcripts and it spits out a show note perfectly written exactly as we need it.
0: Yeah. And but, you can um, cut it down for social posts. You can cut it down to yeah. make TikTok stri- scripts from your podcast, yep. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, that's, that's interesting. So it's not, it's not quite there yet. I do yeah. know though, I was having this conversation with somebody else um, on the podcast, Lorna uh, McKay, who, Uh, runs the perfume society there they have a a magazine called the scented letter and we were talking about ai and actually that was one of the topics that they talked about in the magazine and a few perfumers were talking about it that same week and i know for a fact that a lot of fragrance houses big fragrance houses have been using ai for quite some time and Mm. looking at and i don't know what i think about this really I don't know how it's going to pan out because I think what they're doing is using it, I'm sure they're using it in many, many different ways, but using AI to formulate a fragrance that is going to be a bestseller by analysing all of the bestsellers out there and formulating something that's going to be a winner.
1: Yeah, I don't know how that's going to end up. I actually said to my team, I want to get AI to make me a formulation. And does one of you have time to just whip it up for me because I'm just so busy, I hardly ever get time to formulate anymore. And uh, in the end, we didn't do it because we couldn't get it to actually sort of pin its flag to the mast and tell me exactly what it wanted me to do. But I think it's worth trialing Because I think it might just demonstrate that actually AI hasn't quite got the humanity that we need for that sort of thing. No.
0: And I was wondering in the, you know, if you are then looking at, okay analyze all of the the most successful product formulas out there. So I know that this is something that's happening in fragrance and then create a bestseller. Like if that is done time and time and time again, it's almost like the formulations become a bit inbred and a bit kind of... um, everything's going to end up being the same and there's going to be no differentiation. Yeah, And so that then... To be
1: fair, I mean, a lot of the beauty industry already is completely the same. I know perfume fragrances are obviously all different, but if you go into the supermarket and pick up a bottle of hand soap, the 10 next to it will be identical. They'll just have a different logo and a different packaging. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And
0: so this is like, it's called trickle. I mean, uh, this is something that um, I found hilarious, actually, because I hadn't worked in the big commercial fragrance industry for for many, many decades now. And I remember thinking, and we worked on palm olive, there was a palm olive almond milk shower gel, for example. And what they do, and this is not something that loads of people necessarily know is that it's a thing called trickle down and you know you you look at types so a uh type might be in a peach colored fabric conditioner a blue like toilet cleaner might be a trickle down of a cool water or an isimiyaki that kind of thing and oh. literally fragrance houses do copy their own formulations and trickle them down for own label supermarkets oh. and i smelt the. i thought oh i'm gonna smell palm olive almond milk because i know that that is a Um, a vanillary woody cashmere type because it was that was what I think we worked on back in I don't know 1996 or something it was still the same
1: fascinating yeah suppose people get used to fragrances as well and then they don't want them to change
0: they do but yeah like you say you know every white hand soap is going to have been benchmarked against all of the best-selling white hand soap so yeah I suppose all they're doing really is getting AI to do something that's been done anyway
1: Maybe. Who knows? I'd be fascinated to see where the industry takes it. Yeah, in. I might um, I might have a go at ChatGPT
0: and see if it, I can get it to formulate for me and see if it comes up with anything different. You can spend hours down that rabbit hole, though. Who's got time for that? <laughs> <laughs> OK, so... Um, for our listeners who are budding skincare formulators, what advice would you give to them for starting their journey and are there any qualities that you'd see as a pattern in your most successful students? So any I think
1: the biggest advice is, you know, go and try and create something that you will think that you think will change the world somehow and that can be tiny as well that you need to be trying to change your customer's life through making them feel better about themselves or protecting them from something or making their life easier and if you can crack that then the rest will flow out of it because you have to create your brand and your mission before you start to create your formulations and of course what most people do is they make a lip balm and think i can sell this and then maybe tweak the formulation slightly and then think how do i retrospectively fit that into a brand You have to put the brand first. And I think that's the main piece of advice. And the other thing is... If you're an entrepreneur and you want to do this, believe in yourself because there isn't going to be anyone out there who's a bigger cheerleader than you are for your own business. Like you're the only one who can make this happen. And if you go into it thinking, I can't do this, then you won't do it either. So I think there's a huge amount of drive and ambition and self-belief that has, has to go in this as well, which I'm sure is exactly the same for people who start their own, their own business. Exactly the
0: same advice that I give to my people. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important To really start thinking about your brand development alongside your formulation, because it's so much harder to kind of wedge a product that's finished into an audience target audience than it is to actually develop something for that customer um, to solve their problems. So brilliant. And um, so just finally uh, looking ahead, what's 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 happening with Formula Botanica for 2024? Have you got any new courses or launches coming up? Um, well, and yeah, let us know and how
1: people can find you. Well, we add new courses every month to our membership platform, which is for formulators uh, called The Lab at Formula Botanica. We've got some really exciting ones coming up in 2024. In the meantime, we're working, beavering away behind the scenes, just still trying to get, you know, our team completely operationally smooth. Covid was a, a massive growth period for us and we're still sort of <laughs> playing catch up with it. And just working with our students to get to know them even better, helping them really get where they are um, and get them to the stage that they can launch a brand that can change their lives and can change the lives of their customers. So I'm really excited for 2024 because we have some really big plans on the horizon and it's going to be really exciting to see them come to fruition. Fab.
0: Thank you so much, Lorraine. It's been absolutely (laughs) lovely talking to you. And um, yeah, I will put details of where to find you in the show notes and yeah so if anybody is looking to create a, an organic skincare brand um you generally do your launches you have open car. you, you do open enrollment is it yeah we have an enrollment period
1: coming up in january actually january. So if anyone's interested we'll be there brilliant
0: thanks so much and um thank you so much for listening folks and i will see you next time thanks lorraine